0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today, I am privileged to be joined by Rav Shmuel Botnik, a noted author and the writer of a brand new biography about Rav Greenblatt. Thank you, Rav Shmuel, for being here. Thank you. Uh, since you're, you're a resident today of Cincinnati, correct? That's so, right. Uh, we appreciate you coming out to the tri-state area for this conversation. Uh, this new book about Rav Nata is is getting a lot of attention. People are very excited. I know you put your heart and soul into this project and you have a lot to share about it. So we're going to talk about this book about a, a very, very unique person. Um, when we were schmoozing before this interview, you know, you're talking about her, Rav Nata was really unlike, unlike anyone, um, both in the rabbinic sphere, both in the world of Askanus, in, in just in everything that he didn't represented, Rebnata was very unique. But just for a moment before we get into it, some people may know your name from Mishpacha magazine. You're a prominent writer there. Um, talk about yourself. Just tell us who you are yeah. and how you got to this stage in life uh, as as a, as a writer of such a biography.
1: Right. Yeah, my story is not nearly as interesting as Reb Nato's. <laughs> um So I grew up in Toronto. Lived there until I got married, basically. Um, Then, so, I mean, if you want to know my whole educational background, so I went to. Where did you learn? So I learned in, well, elementary school is in in Toronto, and then Mm -hmm. there's yeshiva there, Rabbi Kaplan's yeshiva. Sure. Then I went to Novominsk for base Madrid, Shalom Shach there after that, BMG, then I got married, went there at Seoul for a bit, and then I moved to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm.
0: now I will I'm not going out on a limb to say that writing today is a lost art um, and someone to, to be a writer of your caliber is, is rare I mean it's just mm-hmm. a fact so where did someone like you get that skill yeah um, is that something you always aspired to? I, be?
1: I always wrote I, I can't say aspire to be a writer on a professional level but I always wrote to the point I remember my second grade teacher um, like calling me to the side, she gave me a notebook. She said, "I want you to fill this up with stories. Every day, write a story, bring it to me, and I'll I'll mark it." Well, oh, I always wrote. Um, for the <laughs> originally, my my main writing was like poems and song. I I remember like I used to write like a little poem about everyone and anyone in my class. To this day, people remember them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Journeys was a very big impact, uh-huh. very, very big, it was very much part of my life. You're saying as from a musical standpoint? Or not from, the musical. From, I, the, lyri- from the, the, lyrics, the lyrical lyrics. standpoint? We, like, uh-huh. I would study the lyrics, like be my iron and them like a, like a sugya. Uh-huh. I mean, you grew up in Toronto, do you ever get to speak uh, to AB? Yeah, not, not so much. We don't uh-huh. live near each other. Uh-huh. Like, um, so that was really the whole like first part of my writing. It wasn't so much writing in a conventional sense. It was a uh-huh. lot of, you know, in camp, I was always a big songwriter um i didn't get into into ri- real writing till till later i wrote one article for mishpacha that they liked a lot and how many years ago are we talking a while ago so it's probably seven years ago
0: Oh, it's not so long ago actually
1: yeah so it was, it was actually under very tragic circumstances what happened was i had a very close friend who who lost a child like a crib death so like it's very emotional, and I had no way to express it, right? So, I guess the natural writer in me was just—I wrote it up. Mm-hmm. And the article is called um, "Solace of Silence," like the the way you could you could give nachama by by basically not saying anything, and that I submitted that, and that was published. That was the first thing that was ever published, and that's when I started getting into it. Um, Interestingly, I moved to Cincinnati and punked one of the big editors. Mershbach lives in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and she's like a neighbor of mine, which that's real Ashkhalcha <laughs> mm-hmm. practice. And so she started. She already knew my name from that article. She Started sending me other other work, and that that's when I really got into writing. Uh, ultimately, to to join the editing team. Did Did you
0: have anyone who was coaching you or teaching you along the way or did, did you no. kind of
1: uh, formulate your own style? Right, so, so in terms of, you asked me about the skill, it comes very naturally. My father is an incredible writer. His father was an incredible writer. All my siblings are writers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't take too much credit for just having the, a knack for it. In terms of style, I, will, I would credit Surly Besser almost entirely um, because. Surly really, really branded, um, his own, he branded something that never really existed before. I, I don't think people will realize that he's really a, a pioneer in terms of, he created a level of professional writing that has the yeshivish tone to it, right? There was always, oh, we always had very professional writers, right? But if you go through, that's like every th- I, I've never done it, but go through every single Jewish Observer article, you'll never find the word like grata in it. Right? It's just, that wasn't considered professional. But It's really created a mahalich where you could still write on a very, very high caliber.
0: But infuse it with like, and you infuse in, a, in a language that really expresses mm-hmm. our culture.
1: And, and that very much spoke to me. And honestly, I don't think I would be inspired to be a writer if I couldn't do that. Because that's my background.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I want to be able to express myself in, in, in my language. I don't speak English. I speak uh, Yeshivish. You know that that's mm-hmm. if I if I can't write Yeshivish, I wouldn't want to write right. because it would be entirely academic. It would be highly sophisticated. And speaking and of
0: academic, if I could reveal this, uh, from what I understand, you dabbled in a in a yeah. law career for for a short yeah. period of time. Yeah, uh, you are yeah. a you are an, an accredited attorney. Yeah, I'm a licensed. Are licensed in, in, in Ohio? Yeah, in Ohio, you you took
1: the bar. Took the bar, passed the bar, practiced for two years, and then bounced. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you left your law career behind. Yeah, and now you're writing books for art school. Yeah, so. I never looked
1: back. Um, it, no, you, you are correct, and I'll tell you, the, the law career had nothing to do with with writing at all because I only practiced um, transactional. I did corporate real estate, corporate healthcare, or commercial real estate, I should say, corporate healthcare. Mm-hmm. There's no writing at all. It's all super formulaic um, contracts and purchase agreements that are all pre-drafted. You just put in new numbers, basically. Um, So there's very little writing skill. Law school had a lot of writing in it. um, And I made sure only to take the classes that were writing related, um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, let's say, like bankruptcy law and things like that. I never got less than an A minus on any paper I wrote. Um, Which really, you know, that is very much academic writing. So I guess I still have the skill for it, but it was not fun to write. I would never pursue a career in writing that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just it's boring, and, and again, it's not expressive of who I am. and And writing is really all about ex- expression. You can't right. write something you don't feel. Um, so if you're not feeling it, then I, there's no there's no enjoyment, there's no stimulation in writing it.
0: But tell me if I'm correct: the writing a biography like this one on Rivnata is really a, a totally different endeavor than just your creative writing, where you're enjoying the writing. It involves tremendous amount of research. Um I would imagine you probably interviewed what a uh, a hundred people for this book. Sure over a hundred?
1: I, I didn't count, it's definitely in the hundred range. Uh, yeah. Um, just,
0: just to get the material.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um the interviewing the interviewing was, was geschmack. I, I enjoyed that I, traveling I, I, around. No, I didn't travel well, around. People? It was all it was all Zoom. Zoom remotely? Almost all Zoom. Mm-hmm. The only time I traveled was I went to Memphis. And that wasn't solely for the purpose of interviewing, I wanted to just kind of feel out Reb in his natural environment. Um, hey, did you ever meet Reb never, during his life? Never, never. I, I still feel like I know him better than anyone else, but <laughs> I, never, I never met him in no.
0: Now, a lot of people know the name Reb Nata. They know there was this Rav in Memphis who was totally out of the box, but was a world-class Talmud Chacham, who knew everything, um, he was very famous for many different things, prominently helping people, whatever it was that people needed. Um, what, what was your first introduction to Rnata? How did you get into this uh, into this project?
1: Right. So again, so there's so much hashgacha. But they, one of his grandchildren actually lived in Cincinnati for a They don't live there anymore. There's a granddaughter, um, and. She was married to a guy, um, Binyam, she is married to a guy, and Teitelbaum, and he was, a, he was a friend of mine. So he used to tell me a little bit about his, his wife's grandfather and um, how unique he is, and that's really all I knew, which, which really wasn't much more than what most people knew about him. But when he was Nifter, I, I knew enough to email Mishrach and say, We have to cover this. Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was a special person, we have to cover it. That's really the extent of what I knew. So they, they gave me the assignment. Now he was Nifter on a Friday, the Levi was on a Sunday. And my primary, so I didn't have time to do research because we. Mishbacha- had to come out for that week. Yeah, Mishpacha comes out. We go to print on Monday. And the Levaya was on a Sunday. And so there's no time for research, no time to call people, no time to interview anyone. So I listened to the Levaya, to the Hespedim. And I wrote up an article basically based off that. I did call one Talmud of his. Um, but that was it. So I wrote, it was like a two-page spread. That's probably like thirteen hundred words, mm-hmm. and we sent that off. Now, I don't know why. I shouldn't put it into my head that I should tell them. I told Meshbach like it's not right. We didn't do him justice. I, I feel mm-hmm. like there's so much more. So why don't we write at the bottom of the article that you know we, there's really so much to say, and and Mirzam for the Shleishim will come out a lengthier tribute. Uh, yeah, a lengthier tribute, and that's what we did. So, so the article came out and didn't pick up much traction because it. it it wasn't very compreh- comprehensive, and after the article came out, I, I called Mrs. I emailed Mrs. Friedman uh, head of the strawman. Shana Friedman, Shana uh, Friedman uh, editor, uh, managing editor, right. and I said, "You know, we wrote that it's going kind to of conversation. I'm just reminding you, like, find find someone to write the article, and she says, "Like, you should do it." You know, Maschleve Mitzvah. So, I was I was really taken aback because at the time, this is going back a year and a half, I had not written a lot for them. I think mm-hmm. I had written only two articles. And it's certainly not about an adam Gadol. So it's a big responsibility. Um, and to her credit, she she trusted me. And if you want to know real Seattle, this is, this is crazy. So you mentioned I had this law career. I didn't enjoy it much at all. And eventually we, we decided to part ways. I was working at a very big law firm. A very big Midwestern law firm. and. So basically, I they made a deal with them. So it was after the end of April. So I made a deal. I, I'm I'm gonna leave, I'm I'm out. Like I can't I can't take this anymore. <laughs> um, but they, they said they'll pay me through the month of May. Okay, so I'm, and I got another job in working in house corporate healthcare, and the starting date was June 1st. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I had this month May. Well, you where you were getting paid fully paid? No work. Mm-hmm. That was the month between his petir and his Wow. So I worked on that article all day, I never had such an opportunity, never before never after where I had nothing else to do, no digas on my head because I was being paid or had another job and that was the solution. that was the, the month. So I worked like crazy on that, I had never worked so hard on an article before. Meaning calling people, getting Call, information. I got tons of information. I was, every night I was on the phone with, with people, there was one, Talma primarily, who had you know, documented all of her, not this personal, back, uh, personal details, his background and the article was very good. It was called The Humblest Mountain. It came out right around Shavuos time. Um, so obviously, you know, referring to our Sinai. And it's the best name for an article about Rav And We could talk about that. The Humblest Mountain is exactly who Ravnatta was. And, and it was great. And Baruch Hashem had very good feedback. And the Greenblatts called me, I'd say in August, mm-hmm. that they wanted me to write the book. Wow. Yeah. So that's how I got to it. So you, here you go. You get the job.
0: Yeah. You've never written a biography before, yeah. but you're a talented writer, so where, where do you start?
1: Well, what did you do? I started by panicking. <laughs> um, I, I had no idea what to do. Um, I would say it took me like two to three months just just, just, get getting, just getting my bearings. Uh, it's funny, I, I laugh like looking back at my original notes. Um, <laughs> I, I was silly enough, I like sent like a list of 10 questions to someone like please answer you know these 10 questions about Revanata and they were like these two-word answers like it's ridiculous, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> um, so, so really the, the main challenge was finding who Revanata had interactions with because Revnata didn't have a yeshiva, he wasn't the Rav of a shul. he was a one-man show who traveled all across the world helping people in all kinds of ways. So, and I say all across the world. I mean, all across the world: Russia, Mexico, Israel. Um, every single, every town, every little dafel in America, Moncton. I don't even know what province, but in Canada, somewhere like mm-hmm. northern Canada. So, how do you find these people? So, it was like Sherlock Holmes. You, you call one guy, and he tells you that his cousin's uncle maybe knew of nothing. So, you get the cousin's number, you get the uncle's number. And, and then a lot of them are, are wild goose chases that lead to, not, lead to nothing. Mm-hmm. And then you hit the jackpot. And these jackpots were, were incredible. You get just the most incredible stories. You're saying people in the most random of the places? Most random places, the most incredible stories. Mm-hmm. And that was the real challenge was just digging, digging people up. Now the people who don't, who didn't know Ribnata
0: very well, they they knew that the externals were unique. He was a man who, you know, he wore a straw hat and a, and a brown suit, came from Memphis, but was also big enough of a Talmud Chachem that his word was respected by the greatest of G'daylon and yeah. um and he was called on for the, the thorniest of halachic issues, Gitin specifically. Um, uh, uh, so now you're starting to write the book and, you, and uh, w- w- what's the picture that's being painted for you?
1: The, so I, I knew he was a big Talachim going in, um, going into it. I didn't, I had no idea to what degree. Um, so just to give you an inkling, I had no idea that he had a relationship with the Briskarov TO THE POINT WHERE HE SAID I DISCUSSED ALL OF NASHEM AND EZIKIN WITH HIM. That, THAT'S DIFFERENT LEVEL STUFF. THAT'S NOT JUST LIKE uh, TAMAR OF MESHA Adam HAD of OF this is that's HE'S in, CLEARLY A LAMDIN of the, OF THE HIGHEST LEVEL. I DIDN'T KNOW THAT HE HAD SEVERAL INTERACTIONS WITH THE RISTER THAT HE HAD GONE TO VISIT THE Khazanish AND spoken AND with him. ALL THESE KINDS OF THINGS um, BROUGHT TO LIGHT A LEVEL OF GODLESS ENTIRE THAT I REALLY HAD NO IDEA. And I DON'T THINK ANYONE KNOWS. Mm-hmm. I THINK THAT'S ONE OF THE THINGS THAT THE BOOK WILL BRING OUT. Is how aside from all the unconventional stuff, he had a very conventional track of an adam gadol uh, of the highest level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's also part of the story of the unconventional side because it's easy to be unconventional if you have nothing else <laughs> going for you. Right. Here he had every right. reason to be conventional. Like mm-hmm. he he was a Talmud of Iron to If people don't know that, but but um, he used to go to Iron Iron. Not in a formal sense. He wasn't in. Um, well, in White Plains at the time. Right, right. But he, he used to go to Aaron's house, uh, I guess, in Borough Park where Aaron lived, and he heard him, I think, in Yerushalmi Demai or something like that. <laughs> I, yeah, I think so. Um, so he was Talmud of, of Ramayisha primarily, but before Ramayisha, really, Rav David Leibowitz. Rav David Leibowitz was more like his rabbi in Hashkafa. Rav David was a Slobodka Talmud. And Rav took on that Mahalach very much in terms of Godless Adam. You mentioned the way he dresses. It, it's true it wasn't, uh, again, wasn't conventional, but actually it was impeccable. If you'll see he, was, he, he mm-hmm. was always very neat. Like, was, you know, he never walked outside his house without a hat. <clears throat> and that was part of the Slobodka thing. And that, that came from David Leibowitz. So that's Ashkafa. Um, and then before, then he, oh, so one of his rabbayim, his big rabbi was Rav Feinstein who was uh, half a rabbi, half a karusa? Rav Michal was, I think, 35 When he escaped, he was part of the Mir. He, he Rav, Rav Meisha sponsored him to come to America. So he didn't go through Shanghai. I think he left Kobe, Japan. He came to New York and Renata met him and, and the Imamish hit it off. Renata was mm-hmm. 16. Mm-hmm. Rav Michal was, was the Arisha b'chabura in the Mir, right, right. 35, and they became like best friends.
0: Wow. Was that his connection to the Briska
1: uh, was the yeah, so, so kind of Remichel introduced him to the Briskruv. Uh-huh. But the Briskov was was in was friends with Renata's father. Renata's father grew up in Brisk. Mm-hmm. So right away the name Greenblatt uh, you know, meant That's something to him. Right. So he became that yeah, but Remichel definitely introduced him to briskrov yeah. And he he used to go to the Grav He used to Davin by the Risk in that minion, in his house. Um anyways, yeah, so th- that was something I had to I had to learn about him. Is yeah. how how great of a talmud hakham he was. Um, and then, yeah. And then, like okay, again, I mentioned my my original notes. I remember I, I found written. I called a guy a, a chabad, chabad shluchim had a lot to do with him because they were the only from Yidin, like way out in mm-hmm. the middle of nowhere, and. Uh, I wrote up a story that I thought was astonishing. He says, uh, I needed a get, and Ravnath came and he didn't charge anything, and he wrote the get, and then he paid the Adem and he left. And I was like, oh, I wrote that story up. Like, that's incredible. Looking back, that's a joke. That's like saying Ravnath's shoelace wasn't tied and he, he, sh- he tied it. Like, Ravnath did that. That was his bread, that was and, his butter. bread and butter. The right. stories start way after that. Um, so, so, the degree of his selflessness and the degree of his sacrifice was something that took me a while to hop. Like, I didn't even know what, what stories I was looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, once, a, f- a few months into the book, I was rejecting half the stories I got because they weren't even stories. Because they story. were so run-of-the-mill. Yeah, people thought mm-hmm. they were stories. Nobody really knew what he was doing for the rest of it. Everyone told me I thought he, I was his best friend. People told me they thought they were his best friend until they came to the Levaya and realized that everyone felt that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right, so. I think you brought up a great point, by the way, just to
0: reiterate it. I mean, you brought it up beautifully, but. It's so easy to be unconventional when you don't have anything, anything else yeah. going for you, which is what you said. But when when you're a world class Chacham who, like you said, is 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 learning your Shami Dmai with Reb Kotler, Cutler, is talking to Briskarov and learning, someone who could hold his own with the greatest of the great, but then to be unconventional and kind of do your own thing, um, is what is what made Reb Nata so unique. That combination.
1: Right. I'll tell you. So one, one of the things I I struggled with. You know, I very much wanted this book to be inspirational, right? And and one of the reasons for that is Rivnatto was such, such a hidden person that that um, it really it didn't even feel right revealing his story. Because here he spends his whole life concealing himself. What right do I have to to violate that? Um, so the only heter was because I felt Klaiso has to know this story. They have to know that there was someone like this and, uh, you know, take on maybe a, a degree of his of his hanhaga, um, but one of the questions I ask myself is w- why I should emphasize so much his his brilliance. You, you know, he, he was an eloy like his level of intellect was was beyond uh, his memory was almost photographic, and I talk about that in the book. And I have to ask myself why, because mm-hmm. you can't be inspired by that, right? Right. So the answer is like like this: that if you're not brilliant, right, if you don't have anything else going for you, so then. You choose your thing, you know. He he decided to fly around and you know getting people kitten get because that's what he was good at. I had to demonstrate that he was good at anything else. He could have chosen mm-hmm. to be anything else, uh-huh, and yet he, he but did. But he chose this. to do this, right? And, and, and that's inspirational, right? mm-hmm. That talks to anyone else who has, who has other talents and other skill sets that they too should you know maybe step out of their comfort zone, and, and sacrifice for the sake of Christos. So that's I right. think that's really the reason why I spent time. Uh, emphasizing that
0: mm-hmm. now to you you alluded to uh, stories tell me tell me some of the like the revelations that you had as you are going through your research and you're hearing these mind-boggling stories because you're saying for for not to fly cross-country to get someone to get was was kind of that's that's what he did yeah it's definitely. not even surprising but there, there was more I know there's more
1: yeah there's a lot more um, you want to know like his craziest stories like I mean, they're, they're very crazy stories. Like, um, he he found out that there's a there's a guy who um, who left his wife without giving her a get, and he's somewhere in Vegas working at a kitchen in a, in a casino. It's not where a nice Jewish boy <laughs> wants to hang out. Um, so he picks up, flies to Vegas, goes to every single casino, and asks him, "Is there a, a new cook in in town?" <laughs> And they say, no, 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 finally, yes. What time does the shift start? 5 a.m. So he comes at 5 a.m., he shows up <laughs> in the kitchen <laughs> to a very surprised cook, and he says, You have to write your, your, your wife a get. And he did. I mean, the way it worked, I became a big buck in Halsgetten, by the way. Uh-huh. There's, um, so there's, it's called a shtar minu, it's a minu. You, you, you appoint the, the person to write, to write the get. And that's what he did, he carried around the Shtar Minoy, and, uh, and he, had them, he had them sign it, and then he went and, and wrote the again. So that's just one, I'll tell you, he said, he went to the casino at night, and came back the next morning. He said, I saw the chever playing cards, and no, he was the same Chavar playing at 5 a.m. He said, if I had such a smudda, I'd be with Kyiv <laughs> Um So that, that's one. I mean, if you want to know more, I think this is also Vegas. He, um, and you have to also realize that like, he didn't charge for this, he just, and and it wasn't like he was intimately involved in these stories, he just got like a phone call, there's a guy, apparently he's in Vegas, he's okay, he was out the door. Mom's out the door, Uh, they didn't even have a chance to say how much does this cost, like he didn't ask questions, so I went to his house, he has drawers jammed with, he kept everything, every single plane ticket. Everything documented? Every plane ticket, every car rental. If you count up the dollars and cents, it might hit a million. A like, million dollars oh, that he spent out of his own pocket. Sometimes they paid him back. I don't think he asked for it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure in many cases they never paid him back. Even if for his flight, his car rentals, his hotel stays, he kept every single gas receipt. What was the reason for that? I have no idea. Uh-huh. He just kept everything. I mean, these are his tickets that I don't have. Yeah, right. I, I was going to yeah. say his tickets to Ghanai Wow. Wow. Um, okay, but that's one. I, I could give you so many. They're not all getting. It's, it's just anything for the sake of, of kedushas Yisrael. That, that's really the more general thing. Gett, obviously because to prevent mamzeris, but but it's really anything that had to do with the, the continuity of, of Torah right, right. and Klal Yisrael. And um, if you want another story, so we could speak about this. Not to really dedicated his heart and soul into building a a, 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 a Jewish day school in Memphis. Right. Um, talk about sacrifice, he knew that in order to convince people to send them to a Jewish day school, he would have to counter the, the very enticing offer of public schools which is that it's free. Right. So he said it's free. This Hebrew school will be free. Now what did that mean? That means he had to fundraise. Well, he, to first of all, school. he taught Aleph base to, to kindergarten and first grade. He started the school in 1949, September 1949, with a kindergarten and a first grade. He taught them Aleph paste, which which is also
0: astounding, that he's teaching kids Aleph paste. You're talking about a, a world class talmud <laughs> <laughs> hakham. A year before,
1: a year before, he was talking national news. to and he's teaching Aleph Beis in Memphis. Teaching Aleph paste in Memphis. Um, just to tell you a cute story. One of those told me them. It was it was Rav Nachum Lansky, who's now a maggot shear in 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 Baltimore, now you saw Baltimore. Also a world class Tamil hakham. So, there was one year he wrote, uh, he wrote a shtickle Torah about uh, the, Vil- the Vilna Gain's uh, peerish on, on the Aleph I have no idea what I'm talking about, but it's obviously way beyond most people's pay grade. And the saw it. The next time he met, he met Nachim, he says, I already taught you the Aleph <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Anyways, um, he got a call from Torah Musora. They were very impressed with what he did it in Memphis. And they said, there's another city, I don't need to mention which city it was, in the south. Who you know? They also need a Hebrew day school. Maybe you can do it. So, so not flew over there, and he went to the rabbi, and he said, I, um, I want to start a Hebrew day school, and the rabbi laughed him off. He said, the people here want nothing to do with the old, you know, with the old style. They they want to send their kids to public school and get get degrees and and, and become successful, you know, in in a, in a secular way. So Revinata said, but I, I really want to do this. He said, find me 10 names. If you could get 10 people to sign on um, that they want to send their, their kids to Hebrew day school, we'll do it. So Revinata went knocking on doors in a city that he had nothing to do with. He didn't trust the Kashrus anywhere, so he only ate fruit for a week. And it was in the heat of the summer. He ate fruit and he drank water, that was it. And he finally got 10 names. So he shows up to the rabbi, and he says, I have, I have the 10. So the rabbi turns like pale. I, I'm not sure what the major opposition was to a Hebrew day school. The way I understand it was that these, these communities had a, a Talmud Torah that was affiliated with the school, and therefore they made money. If you, if you, mm-hmm. It was affiliated with the shul. That way the shul made money. You open a school, the Talmud Torah you know, it fizzles out and I, I think that's where it, where it comes from. So the rabbi turns pale and he takes the list and he starts looking and he sees one name at the end and he says, this one doesn't count. They live on the other side of the tracks, which I, I think that means literally and also like figuratively. Other side of tracks means they're like they have nothing mm-hmm. to do. Doesn't count, you have nine, you don't have ten, deals off. If not, they came home like ice munch. And I think his wife said, I'm putting this in, in your, the iron. this list. Mm-hmm. Now, an amazing postscript to the story, many years later, when Bill Clinton was elected president, so Renato was looking at the New York Times. I think it was the New York Times. I don't remember exactly which paper. And he saw a list of the administration members, and he saw a name that looked familiar. He says, I know this name from somewhere. And it hits him that this is the name of that kid from the other side of the tracks. Oh, wow. So, the way I heard the story was he got this guy's phone number. And he told him, I want you to know you almost went to a Hebrew day school. And Ravnath used to cry when he said the story. He said, if he had such potential, he became a member of the administration. What are going? He could have, become. could have been. Now, I'll tell you, um, I know the guy's name. I spent two hours tracking him, trying to track him mm-hmm. down, and I found him. So he wasn't, Momish, a member of the administration, because if you, if you Google Bill Clinton administration, you get all the names. His name wasn't there. My I found him, and I found he even wrote an article about how he grew up. He mentions the town. He grew up right outside the town. So it was Momish, that story. Mm-hmm. That was how it tracks. I was so tempted to call him and ask him if he remembers that phone call from uh-huh. I, I couldn't get myself to do it. Uh-huh. But it was cool to see that like the story actually happened. Like right, the guy right. was part of Bill Clinton's administration. He literally grew up right outside. Um, so he has a crazy story. I think that's a pretty crazy story. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, his dedication to to a different community. A- anything that had to do with Kaddushesisrael anywhere. Um, I mean, just just the amount he cared. He was once writing. Most of the things wrote for were for, he wrote were for, not for from people. From people you know most you marriages know, last and, and they're right. beautiful, but you know if it if it has to end, so they know what to do um, Rev notta traveled around the world primarily when they weren't from, and he just begged them to give their to give a get because he he couldn't bear that somebody should go on to get married and without it, And they didn't want it they didn't know what it was all about mm-hmm. um, he wants the, the in in the rare case that the woman received to refused to receive a get. She wasn't from. She told him the only time she received a get is at Denny's at 5 o'clock in the morning. So this was in New York. So Natto walked into Shar Yashav. He went over to a, a, a bacher by the name of Yisrael Grumman. And he said, uh, you're going to come with me tomorrow at 5 o'clock in the morning. I need to aid them on the Messias you got him and, and one of the Kuttner boys, Kuttner is our family from Memphis. Five o'clock in the morning, they walk into Denny's. And he's not getting paid for this. He doesn't, right. They don't want it. And, but he just couldn't tolerate any violation of, of kedushas Israel. That's unbelievable.
0: Now, I know you. there's an interesting story with regard to Rebnata's Parnassa because here Rebnata was flying around. Um, he wasn't an official pulpit rabbi, so he wasn't getting a salary for
1: that. Um, tell me that story because I, I know it's a fascinating one. And, well, let me back up a little bit, talk about his parnassa. So he, he came to Memphis um, primarily to be a Talmud Torah teacher and, and a chazen. He had a beautiful voice. And when he opened And that his, was a paid position? Th- th- that was paid. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't know how much money you make, <laughs> but that was his parnassa. And when he opened the, the Hebrew Day School, I told you, the Talmud Torahs didn't like Hebrew Day School, the competition. So he, he was competing against himself, right? Mm-hmm. Because his job was to work at the Talmud Torah. He opened the Hebrew Day School, which he refused to take money from. So he's competing against himself. Now, surprisingly, he continued to teach in the Talmud Torah. They let him. Do. So someone asked him, did you do that for Parnassa? So he says, was Parnassa? The Hebrew Day School only had a kindergarten and a first grade. What are the sixth graders going to do? What are the seventh graders going to do? I need to continue teaching them. Mm -hmm. them That's an an amazing thing. In the story you mentioned, I hope I get all the details right, and it happened a long time ago. The way I heard it was there was a Yid in Memphis by the name of Meyer Kivalevitz. He was European, and he landed in Memphis. I don't know why. And he needed to make Parnassa. So the job they gave him was to go around collecting for the mikveh, And he'd get a commission. So he ran around from house to house. Many of them were not from, didn't know what mikveh was, didn't care much, he wasn't doing very well. He knocked on the Greenblatt's door and Revanata says, oh, Mr. Kivalevitz, he brings him in, he calls his wife over. His wife, by the way, was very much part of of everything. And and she always, she had her cakes and, and stuff that she always gave guests. And they gave him a very warm welcome. And it really changed this, this, Maya Kevalevitz's whole his life and his perspective. Like, all of a sudden, he feels welcome. So, the way I heard it was I don't know if he thought it to himself or he said it openly like, if I start doing well, you have half. You have half of, uh, of what I make. I think it was. He told that to uh, Either he told it or he thought to himself. He probably told them. And he started moving on in life, and he started getting involved in various investments. And truth to his Revnata um, got he, I, I think the deal was that Revnata got the half for free. Um, and then until he makes enough money to, to buy it out, I think that's the way I heard it. And it's Mamish like he, he, he had Parnasa through that.
0: And all, all because he greeted <coughs> someone he didn't know, yeah. he and his rabbitson. Uh, you know, you see the dividends.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. it, it wasn't his only source of income. He also works at the OU a lot. He was a tremendous bucky in, in cash. Mm-hmm. But just talk about his parenthesis, uh, some, something someone told me was, you know, I have not that impeccable memory. Remember everything. He could tell you on November 2nd, 1962, I was walking down the street in Ocean Park, He was holding a yellow bag in my left hand, every single detail. So he was once talking about how he was doing a job for the OU back in like the 50s or something. And someone said, did you do that for Parnasso? And he said, I don't remember. He didn't care about himself. This is the one you cited of Renata is he himself, Nata Greenblatt, was a non-factor in any consideration. Mm-hmm. He cared about Hashem, he cared about Tyre, he sure. cared about Kaiso. There was no such thing as, I'm too tired, I'm too hungry. It, it just didn't exist. Mm-hmm. He was a non-factor in his life. Um, so, like, someone like that, to not remember what you did I mean for me if like in 50 years ago the only thing I'm going to remember is what I did for a living you know. Um, but it, it's just amazing. That's one of the amazing things. You know we were schmoozing
0: uh, a couple of weeks ago about, uh, about the book and, 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 and what we're going to do to get people to know about the book. And you made an fa- interesting comment to me. We were talking about what the, what the book should be called. And yeah. then we called the book Ribnata. Yeah. But you, you made a comment that really if you had your druthers um, the right name for this book is "All for the Boss." Yeah, it ha- yeah. just so happens to be. i get sued a, by the by the same yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's, That there's another book uh, yeah. by that name. Yeah, uh, a classic. But the, the point that you were bringing out is this exact point that everything he did was for the boss. Everything he did was for Aban the Shalom. There was no personal agenda at any at any stage. Um, Vaharayu, you look the way his life played out. He never he never promoted himself. Um, outside of his circle of what he was doing, many people didn't hear of him. Um,
1: and he was comfortable with that. He liked it that way. hundred um, percent. And there's so many, so many stories that demonstrate that. I mean, I mean just think about it, right? So he was a tremendous town moves to Memphis. Most of Memphis, even if they were from, they didn't understand who he was. And he never cared. He was like completely more people called him Nathan. He was Nathan. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, someone told me that is uh, a Yidvur Beresh Kipper lives in Baltimore now. We grew up in Memphis. He said his father, I guess was maybe you not know, to a degree of uh, Ben Tyra. He used to take his friends to the green past the green at two o'clock AM and He says, I want to show you something. There's a light that's always on. That's not the green. That's what it means to learn Tyra. Wow. And nobody knew, and nobody, and he didn't care. He just didn't care that, that he didn't get any recognition. Uh, for what he did. Um, it re- really, in essence, and when, when we went to Rabbi Sherman before, I think he,
0: he, he kind of brought this out that re- there was a Yidram Ribnata Greenblatt who, as much as we knew about him, he was really a mystery. And what you accomplished in writing this book is bringing the mystery and the majesty of Ribnata that existed in Memphis really to the whole world for people to learn about. Uh, which is part of what makes, is a very unique biography, maybe unlike any other biography that Oscar has ever, ever published. I know that's, that's, that's a, 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 a yeah. strong statement, but it, it is really unique. Um, interestingly, when I was trying to think of a parallel, um, I was thinking of Reb David Feinstein, because Reb David Feinstein in his own way was was really a, a chad bedara. Reb David was totally unique. Um, and and it's probably not a coincidence that David and Rabbi Nachman were with good yeah, friends. Yeah, they were good friends. that's right. Yeah.
1: Did you see that parallel? To, you know, were there other parallels? I, I mean, to- not had a—it's not nice to say this. There was a little, <laughs> it was like, element of like outrageous. And like he did things that were just complete. I I can't see of David going into a casino kitchen. It, <laughs> it's just not the. He, he maybe wasn't convert, but he was definitely a quieter personality. not mm-hmm. that was dynamic. He, right, was, right, right. He, he was hilarious. He had a sense of humor. So much so, I was tempted to have a chapter dedicated to his sense of humor. I felt it wasn't a so I incorporated the stories into, um, into other chapters. But I, I right. very much wanted to bring that out. There's many, many videos of Renata. People had this thing when they were by Renata. They just had to video him. They That's chapped true. that there's something historic about him. So I have all the videos. I watched them all a thousand times. It's not you could laugh to tears. <laughs> some of the things he said and did um so that would be a different personality did he, did he
0: mean to be humorous or was it just that he had it. a sense of humor yeah, he, he really did. had a sense of humor uh-huh uh, he saw the humor in life but it is true a lot of the, a lot of the videos also that i've seen of Ribnata are are younger b'nai taira yeah they like ran eating, after him yeah. eating out of his hand yeah like eating like he, out of his hand you know whether it's him checking
1: dalb meaning and you know people he walk into a hasana people just like pounced on him. Mm-hmm. I have a picture of him. He's at a wedding and there's like sixteen people around. All he was all younger Bnateira. Right. He was just he was a fountain of story. He had so many stories and yet he, he had this incredible memory. So anything that ever happened to him and, and he was Mishama Shadalam, or Dava Libowitz and Rosha Feinstein and Rucho Feinstein and Ryashavar Salovechik, which I forgot to mention. Mm-hmm. He had so many stories with Yashavar Salvachik. And then the and versus Alman and the Imri Emes. He took walks with Imran, mm. and he remembered every single story. So like yeah. you can't, and it's all like interlaced with Tyra and humor, and it's, it's just, and, and his own personal stories with Kittin. And, and a been. lot of the
0: videos, by the way, of him speaking also, Reb Nato was a master orator, yeah. and uh, he had this, he had a certain diction, a certain way of, of talking that was, that like drew you in. You were, you were
1: captivated. He, he, I, that honestly is something I, I couldn't bring out in a book. Right. You have to have seen it in person. But I do think people are going to read the book. are going to start hunting
0: down these, oh, hunt these clips the Because once you get a, uh, that, that peek into who this unique personality was, you want, you want more. Yeah. What's the takeaway of this book? People are going to read it. I think they'll be entertained um, firstly by your writing. You, you just you did an incredible job. Yes. Just the way you, the way you you paint the picture, Kenai Noharu Abayishlam gave you a, a tremendous gift, and you should continue to use it. Oh, um, beyond that, I'll be inspired by Ribnata's scholarship, by his mother You mentioned him learning two o'clock in the morning. This is something he did regularly without any fanfare because he was in Memphis. It wasn't like anyone anyone knew about it or spoke about it. Until uh, until yeah, after. I catch tell you a story about two yeah. o'clock
1: in the morning. Um, this is in the book. Uh, there, there was a, a woman uh, in Memphis who didn't know Revanata, didn't grow up anywhere near Arvunata. Um, She had a baby, and and the baby got very sick very shortly after. He, he didn't even have a brisk. like it was a baby boy. It was maybe two days later he got very sick. He brought him to the hospital, and um, he was nifed. The baby passed away. So. In those days, they, they just, like, sent you home. Like, just, they told the parents, like, go home. And she was obviously completely overwhelmed. So, she called a, a Yid by the name of I think he was just lived in there. But in the time, he lived in Memphis. And he says, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. She says, call Renata. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Renata's up. Call her Renata. She calls Renata, he picks up right away. She tells him what happened. He's like, don't worry about it. Just, it's fine. He goes to the hospital, gets the kid, gives him a brisk. That's the halacha. was a master, mile. He was a master of mm. everything. <laughs> and uh, he gave the baby a name. That's also the halacha. He spoke to her first about what name to give. He drove to the base, Akvaris, buried it, uh, came back to the family. And, and ever since then, he, he always would go visit the family. They lived nowhere near him. I'm just giving you a note. The 2 o'clock in the morning is a very real thing. Like, you knew you could call Renata any time and he would be there. And again, he didn't know this woman. She wasn't, mm-hmm. He didn't have a shul, he wasn't the rav of a shul, but he, he, he did look like a rav for certain people. He would answer their shouts. Here he didn't even know her. And uh, yeah. So maybe that's, I asked you what the takeaway and you told <coughs> me the story.
0: Maybe that is the takeaway. Um, the average person watching our conversation may not have the, the level of, of Torah scholarship, the brilliance, the charisma, the photographic memory these are, these are martonus that the rebunishalom gave him but it's what he did with them that he literally lived for the rebunishalom and he lived for other people in such an extraordinary way and especially in our world where you'll forgive me but uh, you know nowadays it, it it almost doesn't count if it wasn't documented uh, <laughs> you know in writing or by video or 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 got some kind of level of exposure Ribnata's life was lived totally in that sense. It was lived totally under the radar, because he he really didn't get a lot of exposure um for his greatness in Torah and Chesed. This book is going to do that. Uh, maybe that's what we could all take away from Rabbbonut: is learning how to live for others. So
1: it's it's, it's more. that's deeper than that because it's 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 learning how to live without yourself. In other words, it's not necessarily for others. It's for Hashem. It's for it's for tire, It's for anything. Um, the, the way I, and I write this, I think, at the, at the beginning of the book is the, the takeaway of the book is so that you should be able to ask yourself, what would Rivnata do? Because we, mm-hmm. c- we can't do that. It's impossible. We're not on that level where we could just completely step back and look at something entirely objective. But when you get to know Rev just just go through the motions. Whatever he would have done, that's going to be the right thing to do. And I think over this past year and a half when writing the book, that's what I developed. Rev became my Rebbe, mm-hmm. you know, in a sense. And when you don't know what to do. You just ask what would have not to do and um, that that's usually going to be the right answer uh, that I think that's the takeaway Le- learning how to step back and and live completely for the sake of their
0: well on that note which will on this accomplishment I I was gonna ask you if you're gonna write another biography I've heard from people who have worked on these projects that you know after they finish such an undertaking, they're like, okay, I'm never, never writing a biography again. I hope that's not the case with you. I hope uh, you'll do it again.
1: I'm still not writing another biography on honor of Nathan. <laughs> um, you for sure can. Like After this book comes out, people are going to be calling me from all over the world with, 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 with stories. more stories. How, the, how am I supposed to find them? Like, right, I, I told right. you, like, it, it's very hard to track people down. You'll have to print an addendum.
0: But uh, you, you, you we'll, we'll, we'll see more from, from you as far as the writing is concerned. And, um, and I can't wait to hear the feedback from the public to this book because I think they'll be deeply inspired and uh, deeply moved both by, by Reb Nata's uh, and his devotion to other people. So thank you for bringing that story to light and thank you for being here. Thank you.